Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. In this episode, episode 28, I have Jessica Williams. She's the founder of Tech Biz Girl. So on this episode, we discuss what is Tech Biz Girl. You learn more about her brand and the services that she offers. We also talk about the importance of exposing kids to tech at an early age. And furthermore, we discuss how Jessica got into tech because she has such a unique story. Before we get started with this episode, I wanted to share some exciting news with you guys. So Black Tech Unplugged has proposed a panel for South by Southwest. The panel is called Diversity and Inclusion, Buzzword, Movement, or BS. You can learn more about the panel by going to the website, blacktechunplugged.com, or looking in the show notes. So I do need a little favor from you guys. So you can vote for the panel for South by Southwest, and I need you guys to do that for me. I need you to create an account and vote up for the panel that I have submitted. It will only take about 10 seconds, and I really need every vote because every vote counts. So if you would please take some time within the next two weeks and vote, that would be awesome, and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do enjoy this episode, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to the episode today. Now let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm here with Jessica Williams. Hello. So, Jess, for my listeners who are not familiar with your work, let them know what you do exactly. You do so many things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but currently I'm a side hustle coach uh, for my business called Tech Biz Girl, which is really all about helping women start and run side hustles and being a source to give them the tools and support that they need so that they can run their side hustles and still have a life, um, but also still rock it at their day job, as I call it. Before we jump into your brand and how you got to Tech Biz Girl, let's start off at the beginning. So you grew up in Chicago. I did. When you were growing up, did you know that tech was even an option for you? Uh, Well, when I was growing up, most of my uh, papers were done on a typewriter. So probably not. Okay, okay. I, I remember having a brother word processor, so I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. <laughs> uh, so no, I did not know tech was an option at first. I mean, honestly, like I remember taking a typing class in high school, and I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Um, but it was really important for me to get a job when I was in high school, and I started at McDonald's, like. Some of us do. Okay. Uh, I have great customer service skills, I think, for that reason. And um, I found out that my school had a work-study program uh, when I was a junior in high school. And I went on a couple of interviews, and I was able to get an internship at a tech consulting company. Okay. Uh, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> uh, to me, it was um, really just a, an opportunity to work in a business for the first time. And that was really the... Uh, the point of the program to give high schoolers their first chance to work in a business and, and learn professional skills and uh, but also earn money towards college and so that experience just exposed me to this world of careers that I didn't even know existed you know when I was in high school and when I applied to colleges my plan was to be a doctor like I wanted to be a pediatrician and I think that was because I didn't know what else was out there. Like I knew I could be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, and an accountant. Like those were the four careers that I knew of. Yeah. And working at this this business, you know, really was what really exposed me to all these other careers. It's like, wait, there's marketing, there there is accounting, but there are other things. And then, you know, um, it wasn't until I got into college that I really started, um, I guess, thinking about these other things like computer programming and all of these other things because I still didn't make the connection. So basically what happened was in my first semester of college, I realized that I did want to be a doctor, and but then I didn't know what else to do. And so my academic advisor, when he found out I worked for a tech company, he suggested a computer programming class. Like I said, didn't know what that meant. I just kind of went in and did it. Um, and it was a visual basic class, and it was kind of like a mix of uh, I guess a little bit of a mix of drag and drop, but also coding. Uh, so I think it had like a nice mix of creativity and tech. 
and I loved it. Like I, I, I took to it super quick. Um, got in class. It seemed like it's like, oh, this is cool. I could do this. I can make this a thing. Um, and so then I continued on to take the next class, which was Java. Not as fun. <laughs> Not as fun as Visual Basic. Um, but what that it told me that like I like the tech stuff, but I also wanted to be in a position where I was able to maybe do some tech, but also talk to people. Um, so the job that I had was really important because I could kind of go to work and see what people did. Like the programmers sat in the corner and they basically sat and coded all day. But then there were these other guys that did other things and they kind of went out to the field and they were talking to customers. And so I was able to go there and ask them questions and follow them around and I became that annoying person that's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm changing out a, a printer cartridge. Like, oh, like, so what do you do all with the rest of your time? And um, really just trying to figure out like, okay, what else is out there? What are some other options for me? Especially because like, I do like to talk to people. And so that helped me find a good mix in information systems because I got the business side and the talking. And I got, and I got the tech side. And so that was kind of a pivotal moment for me. You know, I, I basically declared my major as business. I got a minor in information systems. And then I really started um, continuing to work with those, you know, the tech guys at my job. and really started to solidify the direction that I ended up going in, which is network infrastructure and wireless. So when you were interning, yeah, how important was it that you got that experience? How important was it to get that exposure? Life-changing. I mean, like I said before, like, I, I knew of, like, maybe four careers, and I think it was because I just didn't know what else was out there. And just working in this business, like, at first I saw, you know, a couple of other departments, like sales, and, and there's management, too, but then there's project management. And, and then even getting into the world of tech, it's like, well, wait, you can go into a couple different areas, you know. And at that particular company, the areas were like, well, you could be like a desktop person or you could be a server person or a network person. So even within the tech world, even in that one company, I was starting to learn that, oh, there's there's areas I can specialize in. And so that's why I chose like networking. And then plus with the schooling, like I feel like they inform both. You know, I was kind of learning some things at the office that I could kind of take back to school and vice versa. And then with the uh, information systems curriculum, like I feel like I remember taking a bunch of different tech classes too. Like I remember there being a database class, you know, I remember there being a telecom class. So I kind of got, my world just kind of exploded with different careers that I just did not know about prior to that experience. So I want to know a major thing, how key it is to expose kids to tech early on and expose kids to positions other than the traditional doctor, lawyer, yeah, and how it's so key, like you said, because it helped you form what you wanted to do later on in life. That's true. And and I mean, I think if I would have known about it earlier, then I could have, you know, taken advantage of it in high school in a different way if it, if it was around back then. I mean, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think it could have informed a lot of different decisions early on. I think, you know, you kind of if you if you feel that you're limited to these you know four things then you're like okay which one is just the most appealing and so um i think that could have opened my eyes a lot earlier to some other different routes that i could have taken uh even when applying to college because when i went to loyola i love loyola i had a great experience there but i was pre-med so loyola had a medical school so that's why i went to loyola um if i would have known i was going to tech i probably would have chosen to call so yeah, having that exposure early on really can affect maybe the career, the trajectory, and even some of the decisions that kids make um, when it comes to their career. One last thing I want to touch on in regards to your experience, too. How many people of color did you see in that workplace when you were an intern? Uh, I actually saw quite a few, uh, but they were pretty much, at least on the tech side, they were mostly all men. I think okay. they were all men. <laughs> and for the rest of the company, there was a bit of a mix. It was a bit of a mix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you do this internship, you know, you go to college, but you end up on the networking side. Yes. So tell my listeners how you got into that, okay. where you started, and mm -hmm. what experience you gained from that. Uh, so remember how I mentioned earlier that I started following around the tech guys? Well, <laughs> so uh, there was one area of the company or, or the office where, like, 
So all the tech guys kind of huddled at one point, and I didn't realize they worked on a project, and they were working on a project for Chicago Public Schools, uh, where they were upgrading the network and, in some cases, installing wireless uh, access points. And so, you know, so again, like, I started hanging out with them, and, and so they basically took me under their wing. I became, like, the tech guy's little sister if you will, and they started showing me what they were doing, which I don't think I understood it at the time, but they were programming switches, uh, programming access points so that they can then install it in classrooms uh, and then make sure they were connected to the internet. So little by little, I kind of started not even realizing what I was doing, but programming switches and then learning um, command. It's like coding, but just a different language. Um, learning how to do that. But then also uh, I started going out into the field with them and plugging things in and green lights were good, you know, uh, no lights were bad, that meant something was wrong. And so it's like little by little, I started getting the information and because we were working with Cisco gear, um, Cisco was the brand of the equipment that we were putting out. Uh, the, I guess the, the manager of the team uh, basically said that we should all think about getting certified, Cisco certified. Okay. And so I was already in study mode. I was a senior in college, so I'm just like, I will just add this to my, my list of studies. And so I started studying for um, the test. And at the time, like, I didn't have a computer at home. I borrowed a laptop from work. I got this study kit that had a book and the CD-ROM. Like I said, borrowed a laptop from work. So when I was done with my schoolwork, I started studying Cisco stuff. Um, so I was kind of coding, and then I would code at work, and then I think within about maybe eight or ten weeks, I decided to go and take the test, which I figured I would fail, but at least I would take the test and see what it was like, because I heard it was really intense. Okay. Um, so I took the test, I passed it, which shocked everyone, <laughs> including me, <laughs> and that was kind of like, I feel like that was a turning point, because I think that showed... That showed me that like, hey, I'm really good at this, and that showed the people that I was working with, even my my manager who worked in marketing at the time. She's like, okay, Jess went out and got her certification. Like, she's serious about this this change um, to to getting it on the tech side of the of the house essentially. And um, so yeah, I got my certification. I finished out my senior year, and with the help of Dawn, my marketing manager, she became a champion for me. Uh, she was letting everybody know that I was get, that I got certified, that I was working. She was trying to pave the way for me to move over from marketing into the, I guess, the operations side of the house uh, to start working on tech stuff. Um, so by the time I finished my undergrad, uh, I was offered a full-time role with the company as a network tech to work on that Chicago Public Schools project. Um, so that was really, that was really awesome. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it went. Yeah, that's kind of badass, though, like, to like, <laughs> not really know too much tech, but then to go ace this Cisco exam, like, yeah. it's nothing. Uh, this, that exam was hard, because it's not only just, like, multiple choice, like, you are actually configuring virtual equipment as part of the exam. What? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. It's a pressure cooker. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that a gentleman I interviewed on one episode, his name's Dewan, he does this thing called Lab Every Day, mm -hmm. and he talks about the Cisco exams, and every time I see people practicing or showing, like, practice questions, I'm yeah. like, Whoa. Yeah. it's a whole nother world. It's a whole different way of thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you want an AC exam? Well, you know, <laughs> I was I was in study mode. <laughs> well, there's a few things that I want to point out just from that particular story that you just told. Mm -hmm. One, it's your level of dedication. Sure. Mm -hmm. People, if you really want something and you dedicate yourself to it, you can obviously achieve whatever you put your mind to. Absolutely. And then also, you didn't even have a laptop at home. You had to borrow one from work to I make did. things happen. Like, I did. But you were determined and you mm -hmm. asked. Some people don't even ask That's true. or try. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you for that and making that move and making that change is so you move from the marketing side over to the networking operations side of the house. I did. So then what happens? How was that experience? It was great. Uh, it was cool. It's like, oh, I'm like a tech now. So I, I got to basically put into practice a lot of the stuff I learned studying for the exam. Because it's like, oh, this is why this works. You know, so it was able to... I was kind of able to exercise my skills, and then um, we got a couple other projects for Chicago Public Schools after that. So 
in addition to configuring switches, like I started learning about wireless access points and um, how to get those connected. And then um, I started taking on a leadership role for some deployments. So instead of actually going out and installing, I was like managing teams that were going out and installing. And so basically, you know, my roles kind of changed and evolved based on what the company was doing. Shortly thereafter, uh, I ended up um, on a client site at uh, the CTA, basically managing the network support team there. Um, I did start out that way, but uh, I started out, they, you know, I was put there to make myself billable, but uh, they also saw how quickly I was building relationships with um, the client, and so they needed somebody to actually manage the account from the network team perspective, and so they asked if I would manage the team, and so um, I did that for a few years after that as well. So I kind of got to flex a different muscle um, from a management perspective and got to manage people for the first time. So from your perspective, was there any tips or advice that you have for people who might be looking to become a manager in the field? Hmm. <laughs> uh, well, your first management position is going to be hard. I think you're going to question yourself a lot. Uh, it, it's a different muscle, right? Like, I think that if you're a tech person and you move to a management person, like you actually have to let go of being a tech person. Um, unless that's what your role requires, because you can't, it's hard to do both, right? Like most managers have to uh, assume this level of strategy and big picture thinking. And as a tech, you're very much like practical, detailed tactics, like this is what I have to get done day to day. But you actually have to take on ownership of like managing the team and, and planning things, setting objectives, but also managing people. And so it's hard to kind of let the tech piece go. And it's not to say that you won't ever be technical, but it has to take a back seat, um, depending on the role, right? Like some roles require managers to kind of be working managers, but for the most part, um, you know, getting in there and doing the tech piece, which may be something you love, might have to come as a lower priority than, you know, managing what's going on, managing the operations, or managing the team. And so it's a bit of a mindset shift. Um, also, managing people takes a lot of time and energy, and not everyone's cut out for it. Um, <laughs> and not everyone should be managers. And so, um, you know, I think some people promote people because it's like, oh, well, if you're a good technical person, you'll be a good manager. And that's not necessarily the case, unfortunately, um, because, like I said, it requires a different set of skills, it requires different expertise, and it's different muscle that you have to. Uh, manage and not everybody necessarily wants to manage people and that's totally okay I think right. it's about you know if you have the opportunity to get in a management position see how you like it not everybody does um, but yeah it, it will require a shift in thinking and especially if you are in a position where you know you're part of a team and then you become a manager then you know there has to be that level of uh, separation um, between you and the people that you're working with um, just because your relationship has to change. Right. And let's say you were on the team mm -hmm. and you were not the manager yet. What were the three top characteristics you would want in a manager, especially for a technical position? Hmm. So I, I don't think that you have to necessarily be a technical person to manage technical people. Um, but I think that you have to trust your people. So <laughs> trust is probably one of those things. Um, I think there has to be, uh, I think as part of the trust piece, like you have to give your employees a little bit of freedom, right? Like make their own mistakes and to just be that support person that's there for advice and guidance. Um, I think managers typically have to be more people people, right? Like, you know, I feel like some technicians, especially in some roles, they're very much like, I'm gonna be on my computer, and that's all I'm going to do, and I'm going to code, and it's going to be to myself. And um, like, you have to have some relationship building skills because I'm sure there's maybe your boss that you have to talk to, there's your employees that you have to talk to, and and as part of that, like, you have to be a buffer, right? Like, you have to kind of translate between those two people. So you have to be able to um, communicate, um, but also have a bit of a protective instinct, I think, because you're kind of sitting in between a team and probably your upper management. So I would say trust, maybe relationship building skills, good communication skills, I think, come to mind. Okay. There's probably more, but those are the three that come to mind right now. And I feel like we both had experiences where the managers weren't the best. Yep. I think everyone who's probably I, listening to this podcast probably, probably experienced that. Agreed. 
I know nobody asked me, but I'm going to give my top three, too. Okay. So one would definitely be empathetic. A lot of people just don't try to put themselves in someone else's shoes or even ask the questions to get a real understanding of why something went a certain way. I think a lot of people think in the, this is what I would have done, so this is how it should have went scenario Mm -hmm. or mindset. Mm -hmm. And someone who's empathetic just makes the situation different than it has to be. That's true. If someone's not empathetic, what I picture in my mind is someone who's just like yelling and mad and like, why did it go like that? Yes. Whereas someone who's empathetic is like, okay, this is a lesson learned. Let's figure out, okay, it went this way, why it went this way, and what we can do to change it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Another thing would be kind of a piggybacking off of you is the communication piece. Mm-hmm. And I say that with, so I'm a scrum master and I have to manage a team, but I also have to be able to communicate if my team did something a certain way. I need to communicate that not only to the delivery lead, mm-hmm. but also to the stakeholders. And having that communication and knowing what to say to who and when and how to say it is such a key thing. Because some people, I've seen people flub that and it go really bad. (laughs) Well, also making sure that people understand what you're actually talking about. Like, you know, some people, like, you have to, like, really get tech nitty gritty with. And some people are just like, just bottom line it for me, Dina. Bottom line it for me. Exactly. (laughs) Give me the highlights. Right, but having that skill is not something everyone has. True. So then it's like, if your manager doesn't have that, how are you going to be a successful team? Exactly. And I think the third one that I would say is being a troubleshooter. Mm. Because something is always going to happen. Yeah. And you have to know how to put that fire out and not make it like a huge blaze instead of like the little, uh, what do you call those? Just like the little trash can fire. I don't want it to be like a whole forest fire. So how am I going to put it out as soon as possible? Only you can remove forest <laughs> And so that's what I do as a scrum master. So I see it from a man- you know, managerial perspective of like, no, I want that fire to go out. Make sense. It's any further. Oh, yeah. Those are really good. Yeah. We should just write a book about um, uh, top, top manager characteristics. Yes, we should. We should do that. Yeah. Build a list. Keep on it, folks. Yep. We're going to make a book. We're going to make a book. All right, so you're in the networking side, you're managing people. What happened? Uh, I got burnout. <laughs> okay, let's talk about your burnout. What did burnout look like for you? Uh, well, after, so I was managing a network support team at the CTA, and the thing about network equipment is it typically goes down at night. I don't know why, but I felt like it did. And so getting woken up um, at some nights, staying up to troubleshoot issues, uh, but also just like managing a team where you're basically on call all the time, especially as a manager, I was on call all the time, whether I was on call or not, you know, uh, after doing that for four years, uh, I think, you know, I think any support role, it's it's just hard to sustain, right? Like you need, right. you need rest, you need relaxation. It's, it's just hard to do over time. And, you know, I had gotten burnout and um, also around that time is when, I think the burnout kind of led me to think about like, okay, there has to be more life than this, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a song in there somewhere. But it really got me thinking about, you know, this this entrepreneurial dream I've kind of always had. And and while I was on that account, I actually had the opportunity to go to this conference uh, for women entrepreneurs. And that's where the idea of this tech biz girl was essentially born. And really um, with the goal of helping women Helping women build online businesses without the, the technology piece holding them back, and that was that was kind of where that was born. And and so I had the idea um, because I saw that a lot of women struggled with the tech piece. And for me, it was like, what tech? I can figure that out just because of my background um, that you now know. And um, and yeah, I just really wanted to basically share the things that I've learned and, and kind of um, help them conquer that technology piece. And so. You know, after kind of coming to that and starting to blog, you know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm, well, one, I'm burnt out from being on this contract, but I also kind of want to do something else. And at the time, a position in marketing opened back up. <laughs> so I ended up going back to marketing. And um, my marketing manager at the time asked if I would help manage um, uh, the company's social media because I had been starting to do more social media work, working with my blog and Texas Girl. Um, but also um, I took on a proposal coordinator role and basically managing the proposal process or um, 
the responding to a request for proposal process, kind of like project management, but for a document, I guess, um, and um, bringing all the pieces together. And for me, like it was like it was a chance to flex a different muscle. Um, I knew the marketing team already, and it was like a chance to learn a new skill. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years, and then unfortunately I was laid off. Well, before we get to what happens after <laughs> your laid off journey, because it gets Stop better, it gets better. <laughs> I want to talk about burnout because yes. burnout is so common in tech. I mean, I feel yes. like it's probably common in any field, but it's most talked about in tech. Yes. And burnout looks different for everyone. Yes. How did you deal with your burnout? Was it creating? Obviously, you had your side, you had your tech biz girl. Yeah. But was there other ways that you were dealing with the burnout? Drinking. <laughs> Wine cures everything, so I understand. Actually, back then, it was all about the margarita. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was kind of on a tequila kick back then. But yeah, I, I don't think, I think, I mean, now I can say that it was burnout, but I don't know that I knew that it was burnout back then, or I don't know that it had a word back then, but I I'm think it was. sure it didn't have I don't think it really had a word, you know? I feel like people talk about burnout more now, so it's like, oh, you can say, oh, I think I'm feeling burnt out, right? Right. Um, I think I was just exhausted. Like, I wasn't really feeling happy. And, um, you know, the thing is, like, when you're unhappy at work or if there's something that's stressing you out about work, like, that starts to extend into your personal life and everything else, and, and then everything kind of almost feels like it has a bit of a dark cloud over it, unfortunately. Um, so... But yeah, I mean, burnout is tough, and I think it's just kind of like just feeling like not, maybe just feeling not myself. Um, so I think I, I typically know when when I when now I know kind of the signs to look for. I guess when I burn out, uh, for one thing, I get sick a lot, um, a lot more often okay. when I'm burnt out. Um, you know, I think I feel exhausted. Um, and then I think I start losing a bit of my creativity. Like, it's like, it's just not there. It's harder to focus. Um, things like that are some of the signs. Okay. And what I do appreciate is now that we have this term, we have burnout. Yes. There, I feel like there is a lot more community around helping someone who is burnt out. I agree. And now it's actually an official condition. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think, um, maybe last month or... Very recently, I think it was the World Health World Health Organization actually um, made it an official condition, uh, and it was related to the job. Like it's it's something to do with um, burnout being job related. Okay, so you're burnt out. Burnt Go out. back to marketing. Yep. Then you're laid off. Yep. And what? Well, then I had to job search, guys. And if you remember. The last time I went on an interview, I was 17. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> so here I am in my 30s. I don't remember what age I was. Um, but in my 30s and on in the job market, which I had never really been in the job market before. And the other thing, too, was that I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, so I was kind of looking into project management roles um, and uh, I think some network infrastructure roles. And for a while, like, I was getting nothing. I was going on these interviews, and I was just completely just not ready because I really hadn't had the experience of going through, like, you know, multiple failed interviews, probably like most people by that age. And the job search process can be really depressing. <laughs> so I was, uh, uh, I was struggling. Um, but one Friday night, I had a friend call me, actually one of my former coworkers at the company that I uh, was working for. And he's like, hey, I have a buddy who works at McCormick Place. Um, he's looking for somebody to manage the infrastructure team. He's like, I can send him your resume if you send it to me. So I sent him my resume, um, got a call probably like a week later for an interview, went into the interview. Um, and maybe like a week after that, I got the position. Um, so because of my network, um, which is something you'll hear a lot, like, you know, it, it's always better to have a warm introduction or somebody to refer you to kind of get you past the first hurdle um, of the interview process. Uh, that was, that helped me get that job after lots of failures. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, I don't want to call them failures. You know, they were just not right for you. Fair. But fair. the whole, like, you're back on this interview, like, you're back on the market after how long you're going to these interviews. Yeah. Like, how, 
So now, you know, there's all these interview guides, you Google, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. But at that time, it's like, you know, you had interviewed it so long, you didn't know where to go or what to do. No. Did I, you, like, have any resources that you did utilize at that time? Or yeah. I don't even remember. I feel like... I feel like the internet was kind of a thing then, so I probably did some research online, but I feel like there weren't as many resources as they are now. I think I, like, bought books, guys. I think I bought books, because I don't think a lot of that stuff was online yet. Um, And then, I mean, honestly, I just kind of started learning by practice. You know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that that interview question was a little bit harder than I thought, or, or that was one I didn't think of that they would ask. And, you know, after a while, you start seeing some trends. Um, of questions that people ask and then you just get a little bit better and a little bit better each time uh, so that was helpful um, it was funny because for my McCormick Place interview after I was hired uh, my, my boss and my then interviewee was like he's like I could tell with some of the questions you're a little unsure of I'm like yeah interviewing is hard and I was nervous yeah <laughs> I mean who doesn't sometimes feel a little nervous before interviewing right so yeah but it sounds like a good tip that came out of there, though. Go sure. into an interview and at least appear that you're sure of what you're saying. Absolutely. So appear confident and appear like confident. You're, you know the answer, even if you don't know the answer. Right, because actually most of the time, just so you know, like they don't necessarily want you to give them the right answer. They just want to know how you think. Exactly. So just talk it out um, and, and let them know how you would approach it, how you think about it, what questions you have about it. Um, that can go further than you think. Yes, and I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So you get this new position, you're yeah. working at McCormick Place. How yeah. was that? Intense. So really it was like my first experience in hospitality, right? But I'm also managing a team. So managing a team of about eight people, um, three full-time, five part-time. So that was a little bit different. Um, but also, I basically our team was responsible for all internet at events. Just oh, let that, that sink in if for a minute. <laughs> like at least it wasn't like it is now because if that Wi-Fi goes out and you're in the girl, girl. So just 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 take that in. And so I I managed the team that configured all of the internet for that uh, that convention center. Um, so intense is probably an understatement. Um, definitely kind of back to being on call all the time again. Uh, I don't think I realized that McCormick Place pretty much is an event every day until I started working there. <laughs> um, just most of them aren't open to the public. Uh, so, yeah, so I kind of got to manage a team again, but also, like, manage operations and projects. So it's, like, managing a team to send them out from a support capacity, um, manage projects for improvement's sake, you know, because you got to keep the Wi-Fi up to date uh, for shows that need it. And... Um, yeah, also managing a lot of people. So, you know, my first management role, I think I managed maybe three people. And so this was like nine, ten. Um, and I also got to hire as part of that, too. So definitely a new experience, but lots of juggling. So I could go from being a people manager to uh, doing customer service to managing a project that needs to come up to talking to a vendor for a support issue. Um, so definitely a lot of juggling. Okay. And so, how long did you stay in that position? I feel like it was a little over two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then where did you head at? Uh, so, I kind of got to the point where I, it wasn't burnout per se. I think it was just um, with my work with, you know, my blog and Tech Blues Girl and kind of doing McCormick Place for a while. And plus, it's just a very demanding role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I kind of got to the point where it's kind of like, I, I want to do something where I feel like I'm making an impact on the world. And, you know, I had had way too many nights where I would go to bed and I would just feel not fulfilled. Like, I feel kind of empty. Like, my, my heart is not not feeling good. Um, yeah. And I was just like, okay, so I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. But um, I kind of want to I wanna go to bed every night, like, feeling like I'm making some or impact or leaving some mark on the world and so um so that led me to just kind of well i put it out into the universe and i have to say you put something out into the universe and the universe hears you the universe helps you every time and um it just so happened i went to an event and caught up with an old friend uh, her name's nicole 
uh, for Miss Tech, and she we we caught up. Actually, ended up walking her home. It was, it was kind of a, a great night, and we were just kind of talking and catching up. And I was telling her, you know, that I was looking to do something different, make an impact, and. She was like, hey, I just um, got appointed facilitator of this new program for women in 1871. Would you like to come join me as my partner? She's like, I think you're great. Um, to which I said, I don't know anything about startups, Nicole. To <laughs> which she said, uh, well, you can learn. <laughs> she's like, but you have the passion for women. Um, you know, she's like, I think you can learn the rest. And so... You know, I went home and I thought about it, and I really thought about the worst that can happen. It was like, well, this doesn't really hurt anything. Just kind of put my hat in and say yes to the opportunity. Um, but that's just also a lesson that sometimes I think we as women, um, we feel like if we can't check all the boxes for a job or for an opportunity, we immediately say, oh, I can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Not realizing that we can learn it. We can figure it out. Um, we can do that. Um, so... Uh, so I said yes. I, you know, threw my hat in the ring. I went for a couple meetings, um, and I was able to get that job. And, and for two years, her and I basically ran a program called Wisdom for Women Entrepreneurs, and we helped over 70 women um, really get to the next steps in their startups. Uh, some of them raising millions of dollars in venture capital uh, and making an impact on Chicago and other amazing people. So for my listeners who are not familiar with Wisdom, I think I've actually had some WeSTEM alum on the podcast nice. episodes. But for people who are not familiar, WeSTEM is it well, it is in eighteen seventy one, which is Apex based in Chicago at the Merchandise Mart. Mm-hmm. And how long was the program? Was it a twelve week twelve week program? And it seemed like the women learned a lot within that program. So do you want to touch on what topics you guys were covering? Yeah, so um, most of the women were building startups, and so but a lot of them were in the early stages. So we talked about things like, um, you know, getting clear on their target market uh, and marketing. How are they going to market? How are they going to get clients? Um, if they did want to pursue venture capital funding, like what did that look like? But ultimately, we were trying to get them, whether they were um, considering venture capital funding or not, um, our goal was to get them investor ready, in which case, like, we work with them to solidify the things that they would need for an investor pitch. Um, and at the end of the program, they were able to pitch on a stage at 1871 in front of the community um, and potential investors and basically tell everybody what their business was uh, and what they needed help with and what their next steps were. And that is amazing. Yeah. And one thing that I want to also connect the dots for listeners. So you're doing WeSTEM. You're helping these women with their startups. Mm-hmm do amazing things mm-hmm. and that connects to your passion with tech biz girl and yeah. I want to take a second and go into that it's actually good uh, that we were talking about wisdom before we dive into this because I feel like um, tech biz girl kind of has evolved as I've evolved and learned more about myself and but uh, what was really apparent to me running a program and running the wisdom program a program for startups was that um, unfortunately in startup culture and this is not everywhere this is just things that I, I heard and realized is that there's often this perception that you have to, you know, quit your job and put it all on the line uh, in order to become an entrepreneur or a serious entrepreneur or whatever. <laughs> and I just really didn't like that. Like I don't I don't think that's um, I don't think that's fair to those of us who can't do something like that. You know, people have responsibilities. Um, especially if we're gonna talk about like women of color specifically, most of the time they are they are taking care of their families from a financial perspective. Um, so having them quit their jobs to be a serious entrepreneur is just not feasible, even if they wanted to do that. And so um, I, I really realized that like the concept of the side hustle was even more important, um, just kind of being in that experience. And so I was also kind of like, wait, I've kind of been side hustling for years, so why am I not helping other people start a side hustle? Um, and I, uh, so I started thinking through that a little bit more and really uh, helping women start side hustles uh, kind of became this new thing that I was experimenting with. Um, and so now my goal is to help uh, women start and run side hustles, uh, but really helping them from the perspective of, you know, you can start it, but it can be, it can stay a side hustle, right? Like there's also no need for it necessarily to go full time. Right. Um, and if you do want to take it full time, that's great. 
but I but I also want to just put it out there as a way to pursue your passion um, and have it on the side or have a creative outlet or you know a way to earn extra money like those are all acceptable things and um, I know that a lot of people focus on helping you um, grow your side hustle to run it full-time I I'm kind of not uh, I guess focusing on that like I want to help people start it and then maybe keep it as a side hustle but a lot of people actually like their day jobs and love their day jobs but they also love their side hustles and so like I want to show them that there's a way to do both um, as someone who's done both uh, for years and so but really helping with like time management and productivity um, and how to use technology as a way to kind of you know automate some things and, and still stay uh, I guess stay uh, in, on top of things while you're still working at your day job. I love that you are helping so many women out here, especially from the technology automation piece, because yes. that's so key. <laughs> yeah, I feel like nobody should be doing something like, for instance, we'll use tweets as an example. No sure. one has to be tweeting themselves every day. You can nope. automate that very easily. Yes, Buffer is my favorite tool for that. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> So you mentioned still having a full-time job but having your side hustle. Sure. Have you ever talked to any women who have a full-time job but their full-time job has an issue with their side hustle? And what advice would you have for someone who's in that position? Ah, yes. Um, I feel like I've actually been in that position myself uh, before. But, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, if it's – I think it's important to understand maybe what issue they have with it. Sometimes it's a matter of they're afraid that it's competition, which in most cases, side hustles can may not be competition. You could be doing a, same, a similar service, but for a different market, or you might be doing something completely different from what you do at your day job. And so I think sometimes it's about easing those concerns. Um, some of it could also be they're afraid that you're going to be working on the side hustle during their time. Um, and so I think it's about making it clear that um, this is a you know five to nine weekend thing that you're doing, um, but I you know I think some companies don't understand like how important it is for people to have side hustles because I find that my side hustle and I think a lot of women can agree with this has actually helped them in their day job. Either it's 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 helping them get more skills so they're better at their day job. It's helping them get more confidence. Um, it could even be helping them somehow bring more clients into the day job. You know somehow like that's. That happened with me a lot with Wisdom, where people would come in through Tech Biz Girl, and like I'd recommend them to the Wisdom program, right? Huh? Um, and so I, I think there's a benefit to it. Plus, you know, for a lot of us, it's a way to be creative and pursue a passion and, and build new skills and, and build new networks. You know, and you never know where those things are going to lead. And sometimes I think that, like, even if you are uh, thought of as a thought leader, then that just helps elevate whatever you are associated with, including your day job. So, I mean, I think that if your company has an issue with it and, and you can't really, you know, if you can't reason with them or just kind of help them understand what you're doing, then I think it's up to you to make a decision to say, um, you know, if this, if this side hustle is important enough to you to lose that job. I wouldn't advise you too much to do it on the slide because I feel like those things will be found out eventually, especially with social media. Like, there's really no way to hide it. Granted, like, you can probably build it for a little bit um, on the side without them knowing. But I think, you know, you kind of have to make a decision. And that might mean leaving that job, getting another job that is a little bit more accepting of, you know, a side venture. Yeah, I was at a LinkedIn event recently. I think you saw it. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, and so at that event, one part at the beginning, they had some women who worked at LinkedIn, and they were talking about some side things they do. One was an actress, or she liked to act. Nice. And I forget what the other young lady did. But regardless, so they were talking about putting that on your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that question stemmed from, because it's I understand where they're coming from, and if you want to grow your business or you want to grow your side hustle, yes, that LinkedIn is a great resource for all of that. Absolutely. LinkedIn is actually probably an underutilized resource in my mind, but that's a, for another podcast. I think that is for another podcast, yeah. But <laughs> if you're putting all that information out there, someone from your company sees, I'm like, if they're not accepting of what you're doing... It's hard to still promote yourself on that platform. That's fair. 
and at the same time work full time. Yeah. Well, that's why I think it's, it's better to just kind of make your intentions clear. Um, you know, I started my side hustle when I worked for one company and I basically just was a CEO. It, it was a small company. Um, I just met with the CEO and said, hey, like, this is what I'm going to do, right? And, right? and just so it was clear to him um, what I was doing, that I was not competing um, and things like that. You know, some companies actually have you sign a form if you're going to do outside work just to track it and approve it and just make sure that it's not a conflict of interest or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think after I... Um, I think at that point, I probably added it to like my resume, my LinkedIn, because, well, one, you get older and you start to um, care less about certain things. Uh, <laughs> but also, you know, at, at, at that point in my life, it's like, you know, me and TechBiz Grow are a package deal. So if you have an issue with that, then I don't want to work for you, basically. And, and granted, like, again, that comes with time, that comes with uh, you know, acceptance of who you are and all that kind of stuff, and not everyone is comfortable doing that. But for me, it's like we're a package deal. That's all I gotta say. Like, you know, I don't hide it. It's on my resume. It's on my LinkedIn. Um, I don't necessarily call it a side hustle per se. Um, but yeah, so it's out there. Okay. I don't know if I answered your question, but hopefully I did. <laughs> I think you did. Okay. So after you leave Week Stuff, though, you start doing career coaching, which again falls in line with Tech Biz Girl to an extent. <laughs> yes. But you're doing you were doing career coaching at General Assembly. Yes. And I know that at least in tech now, I feel like everyone can use a career coach. I mean, oh, sure. Yeah. With career coaching, what were you doing with individuals who were um, coming to you? So with General Assembly, basically, there's a lot of different uh, types of educational programming, and so. Um, in their case, the career coach mostly worked with students who were taking their boot camp program. So think of a 12-week, 9-to-5, Monday through Friday type program. And the profile for those students were career changers. So they were basically changing their careers into a tech role. So they were um, teachers who wanted to become UX designers, for example, or lawyers who wanted to become web developers. And so um, the career coach really worked with those students to uh, really make sure that they had the job search toolkit, if you will, right? So you gotta have a resume, you gotta have um, a LinkedIn, which we were both talking about, like LinkedIn is a must have. Um, you gotta get out there and network. So really talking to them about um, looking for events where they can network offline, but also ways to connect with people online. Um, talking to them about interviewing and negotiating and things like that, and just really making sure that while they are building their hard skills in like web development, data science, that they're also thinking through how they can use those things to best represent themselves from a job search perspective. So um, while they're in class, I would go in like once a week to talk to them about a topic related to their career development. Um, and then once the program was over, then we would work pretty much on a one-on-one -on -one basis um, until they landed that first job um, post bootcamp. All right. Because of your career coaching experience, I want to ask, what career advice do you have for my listeners? Man, top? Oh, that's a nail on one thing. Um, I would probably say networking. I would say get out there, network, go to events. Um, you never know who you're going to meet, uh, for one thing. And also, if there is somebody working in your field, uh, like if you're interested in web development, for example, but you're interested in what web developers do at Google, for example, um, with your new LinkedIn profile, uh, I would reach. I would actually do a search for web developers at Google and find someone that may be in your network or maybe a degree or two away from you and send them a message and say, hey, um, I see you're a web developer at Google. I'd, I'd really like to learn more about your journey and what you do day to day. Would you be willing to have coffee or um, would you be willing to jump on a phone call? Um, I would say try to build relationships with the people at companies that can possibly um, open doors for you. And I would also keep in mind that when you are networking that you have to network for the long game, right? Like that person may not be able to help you today or help you find this first job, but keep that relationship going because you never know how that can manifest itself in the future. Um, my, the, we were just talking about with um, Nicole, I had known probably, I think for five or six years at that point. Um, and she was able to connect me to an opportunity. Um, so just keep that in mind when you are networking and also keep in mind that most people are generally pretty helpful. Like if they have time, they will 
spend some of that time on you because they know what it's like to be a beginner and be that person that could just use help or advice. So I would I would say, you know, try to build that build relationships, work on networking, and reach out to people to get advice. So I want to round out our conversation with a few other points. So with Tech Biz Girl, yeah, you have an amazing newsletter that goes out every Saturday morning. And so for my listeners who want to sign up for the newsletter, how can they do so? Okay, so I call it JustFix. Um, hashtag JustFix, because you got to have a hashtag, right? Um, so basically, it's kind of the things I found throughout the week or throughout my readings or what have you that are helpful articles, resources, tools geared towards side hustles. My site is TechBizGirl. It's T-E-C-H-B-I-Z-G-U-R-L dot com. And JustPix is, so it's TechBizGirl.com slash JustPix if you wanted to see it. And last but not least, what is your last piece of advice for the listeners? I would say don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone. Um, you know, sometimes if, if something feels comfortable, but we're still unhappy with it, sometimes we feel like we're trapped and we're stuck. And even just taking a little bit of action outside of it uh, can give us a lot of clarity that we need um, to make a change. Um, and just getting out of your comfort zone gives you opportunity for growth. And you never know where growth can lead, and it can often lead to new opportunities, new people, and new doors opening. So do something a little bit scary this week to get out of your comfort zone. It could even be sending someone a message on LinkedIn. It could even be sending me a message on LinkedIn. Um, But just do something in service of the life that you want to build so that you can live a great life. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay, and you can find the show on Instagram at Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to this episode. If you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It would help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. And last but not least, don't forget to vote for the Black Tech Unplugged panel for South by Southwest. It would help me out a ton. And you can find that information on any of my social media sites as well as in the full show notes. Until next time.